This is Guns and Butter. I believe that what we're seeing is not a, a world full of terror and Muslim terrorists. Absolutely not. It is just like if it was a rock band on tour performing the exact same show, terror, 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 wherever they go, same theme, same actors, same SWAT team uniform uh, people, same crisis actors and so on. So I'm, I and many other researchers are trying to now with facial recognition and so on, recognize them uh, in different countries and different uh, events. And this is also why I've been able to predict uh, so many of these is because it's the same, the same, the same. It's the same team that we're looking at. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Dave Lindorf and Oli Damagard from the panel False Flags staged, scripted mass PSYOP events presented at the Left Out Forum in New York City on June 4, 2017. The Left Out Forum included panels which were banned from the annual Left Forum. Today's show, Boston Marathon and Norway Terror. We begin with award-winning veteran investigative journalist and author Dave Lindorf on his personal investigation into the April 15th 2013 Boston Marathon bombing. So uh, I'm going to talk about the Boston uh, Marathon bombing, and uh, I just wanted to make a couple of comments to start. Um, First of all, uh, two little examples of my own experience with this uh, use of uh, terms like conspiracy theorist being thrown out at people like myself, uh, and certainly, <laughs> certainly. <laughs> and, and uh, also, uh, well, let me, let me start with that one. Um, I uh, did a, a piece back in um, 2004 about how George Bush was using a cueing device in his ear with a magnetic resonance uh, antenna on his, based with a box on his back. And the way I got it was a science reporter for the New York Times was contacted by the uh, chief um, of the Cassini probe program at JPL, who uh, was the head of the American Astronomical Society and was in charge of all the photo enhancement of those beautiful pictures from the Cassini probe coming from Saturn. He saw that he noticed the box during the first debate. So he took stills from C-SPAN and he uh, used his photo enhancement tools on his computers to draw out what it was. And what he showed was a, a very clear box and a wire going up and over the shoulder and around and back. Uh, in which he recognized as a magnetic resonance antenna used so that it wouldn't be interfered with by radio signals from police and FBI and everything because it's magnetic resonance, not radio waves. And um, so at any rate, um, this science reporter at the Times did the article, proved the case, found the examples of the antenna and everything, and had an article all set, typeset at the Times and ready to go. Uh, and then uh, there was this 
famous uh, story where the army was allowing, um, which was probably for false flags, allowing uh, insurgents in Iraq to unload from a, a uh, storage facility all kinds of high-density explosives while the U.S. military was standing by. They took all that stuff, which was later used for IEDs and things like that. Tons of it was just carried out uh, under the watchful eyes of American military. And so there was that story, which the Times ran. And then uh, Keller, the executive editor at the Times, decided that he couldn't run two anti-Bush stories in a week before the election. So he, so he put a hold, supposedly, on this already typeset story about the Bush um, cheating in the debate. So the guy... Uh, told his source, the astronomy guy, to go to the Washington Post, which he did. And uh, Woodward was the editor uh, at the time of uh, investigative reports at the Post. He had his photo guys look at the photos and they said, this is for real. He's got all the steps. He shows it. Uh, and then his bosses said they couldn't run it. It was too close to the elections. So he suggested the guy come to me. Uh, because I had done some sort of speculation about it at Salon. So the astronomer calls me and I said, well, send me all the photos you got and all the stages. And I knew people at Mother Jones and they ran it online on Saturday before the election. And so it, it, it exploded because the photos were, were undeniable. And... Um, all of this is written up in Fair, by the way, Extra magazine, the whole account. But uh, at any rate, after it blew up after the election, um, Baum Miller, who was the Washington uh, bureau chief for the New York Times, the Times ran an article by her in which she said that she interviewed uh, one person. It was the tailor for George Bush's clothes who said that, oh, it must have been his fault. It was a badly, uh, badly tailored jacket. And, <laughs> and, she, and she wrote in her thing that there was this rumor circulating around the internet uh, um, from a grassy knoll conspiracy, th a tinfoil-hatted grassy knoll conspiracy theorists that he had been wearing a queuing device. So that was me, um, the grassy knoll conspiracy theorist, except that the Times already had the articles typeset by their own science reporter. And afterwards, the, Keller never ran the story. I mean, obviously, he said he wasn't going to run it because it was too close to the election, but the story never ran. So that's the Times and conspiracy theories, uh, which I thought I'd let you know how it feels. Uh, as an investigative reporter, I, I tend not, I told Kevin this, I tend not to do my own conspiracy theories. I don't tend to put the pieces together, but I do like to raise questions by doing investigations and finding things. Um, the other thing is that the throwing around of the word terrorism, um, our site was I, the, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of it, um, It'll come to me. Uh, a legal group in uh, Washington sent me a um, letter that they got a hold of, a memo from the FBI office uh, 
as part of a big dump that they had gotten uh, around the Occupy movement to see what role the FBI and the Homeland Security had had during what were they doing during the Occupy movement. And uh, it was a memo that was sent out to all the fusion centers at the time, 72 of them, from the Office of Threat Assessment, which said that they were alerting all the fusion centers that a news organization, uh, an alternative news organization called This Can't Be Happening, which is the one that I founded, which is run now by five journalists, um, had uh, written an article exposing the role of Homeland Security in orchestrating all the attacks on Occupy movement around the country by various police departments. And um, that they said, I loved this line, they said, fortunately, the report uh, this information is remaining compartmentalized in the alternative media, but we're alerting you in case it gets into the mainstream media, which it which it never did. But um, but what we did was we put that on our masthead now, so it says the only news or U.S. news organization officially labeled a threat by Homeland Security. So um, yeah, it's, it's an honor. Uh, so so anyway, I looked at this Boston Marathon thing. Uh, partly just because I ran the marathon back when I was 19 and I wished somebody would shoot me at the end of it. Um, but no one did. Um, so the thing about it was that, I mean, there are, I, I have no idea what it was all about, but there are so many things that are wrong with it that I want to highlight some of them. And there are things that I did. Um, first of all, um, I went out and I bought the pressure cooker that was the exact model that was used to make supposedly these bombs. And um, I, it, was, it was hard to find because the, most of the stores I went that said they had it had taken them away after it happened. But I found one at Sears. And uh, so I bought it. Uh, Let's see if I can find that. Um, oh, that's the, that's the exploded one. We don't need to see well, it. Describe. Well, I mean, it's great to see it, but you don't need to see it? All right, uh, forget it. Uh, you don't need to see the pot. All right, anyway, um, you know, I got the pot and I filled it up with... Uh, Nails from a hardware store. Uh, I found out from talking to some people about what the weight of black powder that you would have put into it is. And I basically added enough weight to match the bomb that was said to have been made. I then bought um, some knapsacks to match what the uh, Joe Carr and Tamerlan were said to be wearing. And um, I put the pot in each one of those things and put them on uh, the back of a friend who was wearing the same kinds of padded winter coats that they were wearing uh, and compared what they looked like. And I want to show you what happens. Um, if you look at this picture, the one on the, the blurry one on the left is a, an image of the jacket that uh, I believe this was uh, Joe Carr was wearing. 
and you can see the strap coming down and you can see the smooth jacket. There's no lines. He was wearing, actually, he was carrying it on one shoulder with one strap. The other strap was hanging loose, right? And supposedly this had this big heavy pie. It was quite heavy. Um, and there's no wrinkles on his coat. This on the other side is the same jacket, is, is the jacket wearing the, um, the backpack with my pot inside it. And look at how the creases are pulled from the jacket underneath the weight of the strap. That's what it would look like if the pot had been in his backpack and if it had been full. Um, there's another example here. This is uh, Tamerlan's backpack. He's on the left, right? And you see where the straps are going up to the right and left. You don't see any strain marks on the jacket that he's wearing, right? And the, the pack itself, I mean, if you look at it, it's kind of flat. There's no big pot in there. I mean, a, a pressure cooker is a pretty big cylinder, right? It's about this high and about this big around. And it also has a handle. And there's nothing there. And this one on the other side is, is the, uh, you can see the tag still on it that I bought. And the pot is inside it. And you can see not only are there no strain lines in the, in the uh, backpack on the left showing the stress of holding the pot, but look at, look at those lines on the pack that's got the, the pressure cooker in it on the right. You see how um, the vertical wrinkle lines are pulled from the weight of it. And then you look over at the jacket and you see the wrinkles under the jacket as opposed to the one on the left. So they weren't, neither of those guys was carrying a pot. And these are the, these are surveillance. And for some reason there were surveillance photos of that one, which uh, does seem strikingly different from most of these other ones. They, uh, they were all over the internet. Um, so, uh, by the way, after I did all this, I returned the pot to Sears and got my money back because I realized that they had to have been checking, um, you know, uh, charge cards to see who else went out to buy these pots afterwards, you know, for copycat bombers. So I thought I'd better get rid of it. So I went back to the same store and told them I didn't need it after all. Um, they probably took my picture. <laughs> so, um, so. So uh, that's that's the the big one for me was that they didn't have the pots, and the other thing is that there was something weird going on um, at this thing because there were these guys um, that were from uh, appear to be from an organization called Craft International, which was a mercenary firm set up by uh, Kyle Chris Kyle. The, uh, you know, the one who became the hero of the movie, the sniper, you know, American sniper. Uh, he set up this Texas mercenary firm. And for some reason, these guys were all over the um, finish line of the march. Um, these, these guys are all over the place and they're wearing these hats like here that have a very distinctive skull image. It, with a sort of a long jaw and teeth. And they're also wearing these backpacks that have this distinctive 
rectangle on it. Um, but before the explosions, the you see this guy on the left with the clear shot of the rectangle? This is him after the explosions happen. You notice he is not wearing the pack, right? <laughs> and then the FBI ran this thing showing the exploded pack. This is important. Oh, this is the image I wanted to show you. There's, that shows you the, uh, see the skull? Those, these hats all had this skull and the pack, the, the exploded pack that the FBI showed was, um, here it is. If you look at the pack, you can actually see right here the square. You see it? It's a black pack. And neither of, of the uh, packs that were being worn by uh, the two Tamerlan, uh, two uh, Tsarnaev brothers, looked anything like that. The, the one that, uh, that Jokar had, had white lines on it like around the, uh, where the seams were. And the one that uh, you saw, the one that uh, Tamerlan had, it was not black. It was a kind of a grayish off black. So what the FBI actually showed was this black pack with the white square on it. So there's another one. When I, and this is interesting, when I uh, wanted to find out why these craft guys were there, I called the, mar the, the organizers of the marathon, because figured, well, maybe they hired them for private security, right? Um, they said they didn't have anything to do with it. They said, call the, Bo the Boston police. Call the Boston police. They said, we didn't have anything to do with it. Call the FBI. And I called the FBI. And that's where it got really interesting, because uh, I said I was... Uh, I um, so the, the uh, woman that answered the phone said... Um, uh, just a minute. And then I heard her saying, there's a reporter here asking about the craft guys. <laughs> and then she came back to me and she said, we don't know anything about it. So, um, <laughs> so, um, so clearly they were craft guys and clearly they were there for some reason. And clearly they, you know, that, that was, that there was a exploded pack that was like the one that they were they were wearing, and you could make you could say, well, that guy dropped his because he had to get somewhere fast, and they're big packs, and maybe he dropped it. But uh, you know, a more logical guess would be that that's the one that you see exploded. Um, so those are the those are sort of, that's sort of the parameters that I'm looking at and saying this is completely screwy, right? Um, and then you have these other questions like, uh, like why Tamerlan uh, was a, uh, the older brother, the one who was killed by the police in a, in a you know, a hail of gunfire, um, actually was interviewed by the FBI in January before the marathon, only a few months before. Um, and uh, there are reports that he was actually asked from, from people he talked to that he was asked to become an informant for the FBI. Um, 
no answer on, as to whether he was working as an informant. Uh, the brother, and of course he's dead, so now we can't ask him, but then the, the brother, Jokar, who's now Lind, you know, uh, he, they're, they're, they're kept from the media. Um, he was supposed to be killed, clearly, because, you know, when he was in that boat uh, hiding, the police opened fire. Uh, with them with the boat was like destroyed with gunfire. It was just uh, a hail of bullets. There were like maybe a hundred police around the boat and they just opened fire on the boat and he was badly injured. He had bullets through his, his jaw. Um, and the fact that he even survived the hail of bullets is astonishing. Um, so that was supposed to be the end of him. Um, and, and and the final thing is the the martial law that was basically declared in Boston for 24 hours or so. I can't remember how many hours it was, but uh, that involved, if you see the pictures of it, of, you know, all these MRAPs and, you know, every kind, anybody that had was licensed to carry a gun was out on the streets in those days to, uh, you know, law enforcement, National Guard, everybody. If you looked at the at the mobilization that happened overnight because of a kid with a pistol, supposedly, um, it was insane. Uh, but the but beyond the insanity of what was done you have to look at the what organizational effort had to go into getting all those forces there that fast and i think nobody has really gotten an answer as to how that could have been accomplished unless it was planned ahead so i mean they they came from as as far as 100 miles away uh, from New Hampshire, from Vermont, from Western Massachusetts. They were all there with their MRAPs and everything. So, um, you know, this, it, it, it has all of the, to me, the signs of a, uh, of a uh, false flag. I, I don't know the mechanics of it, but I'm putting all that out there from just the reporting that I did. And I think that probably is enough. You've been listening to investigative journalist and author Dave Lindorf from the panel False Flags, Staged, Scripted Mass PSYOP Events, presented at the Left Out Forum in New York City on June 4, 2017. We next hear from award-winning investigative journalist and author Oli Damagard about his on-site investigation into the July 22, 2011 terror attack in Norway when terror struck Norway from his presentation at the Left Out Forum. Today's show, Boston Marathon and Norway Terror. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. I just want to say I've been asked to talk about uh, uh, the Norway mass shooting. It's a bit hard for me to focus on that one because there's so many that has happened recently and I would humbly suggest all of them connected. What we're seeing, they're all connected. 
And this is also why I've been able to predict uh, quite a few of them. I think I'm up to five or six now where I'm on international radio, been able to predict on loc the exact location, more or less the exact time and so on. So, uh, but back to the no uh, Norway uh, alleged mass shooting. I say alleged because the word alleged will be used many, many times when you look into false flags because uh, uh, the whole thing with the false flag is that it's the one that is being attacked that is actually the attacker. The attacker is blaming their operation on a patsy, but actually it's them doing it. So the whole uh, false flag uh, scenario is that it's based on an old Roman tactic called problem-reaction-solution. The few in power secretly create a problem to get a reaction from us the reaction they want is an emotional outcry or panic so that they can come with their solution. So uh, with the Norway attack, it's a really, really interesting example, I would say. It's the biggest uh, mass murder said to have been carried out by one single person uh, since the Second World War. So I find it very odd that uh, I am one of very, very few that has actually looked into it. We're just a handful of people. I've been on location in more or less all of these different uh, places in Europe where these attacks have said to have been carried out and I tell you it is a bizarre world to enter. So uh, I have prepared a slideshow so I'm going to go to screen share here and hopefully you will see something here. So um, when terror struck Norway, I've done hundreds of interviews. Uh, most of them are on YouTube, and I'm covering so, so many of these different false flags in great detail. So anything you're interested in, please go there. And normally when I talk about this one in Norway, I do like a, almost a two-hour uh, presentation. So it's a bit hard to, to do it in 20 minutes, but I'm going to just scratch on the surface but show you that something really weird went down this way this day so these are some of the images these awful images that we were presented that were being pumped out through international media and you can see here if this is true absolutely horrific you see this uh, woman here her whole face is covered in blood uh, there's a woman here with a almost 20 centimeter long wooden stick sticking out of her head and so on lots of people who, who were injured and so on this happened on the 22nd of July 2011, the same date that several other uh, of these attacks have been carried out as well, because they have a very strong tendency to repeat the same uh, date due to numerology and other aspects. Anyway, so let's have a look at it. When a false flag is carried out, one of the sure signs that you can see that it is a false flag is not so much about what happens, but what does not happen. So let's see what did not happen this day. The official story is more or less like uh, at uh, the Oklahoma City bomb that a lone crazy guy called Anas Birik Breivik uh, had a bad day, thought I'm going to kill a lot of people. So he parked a van outside the government building and then left the car and blew up the government building before he went out to an island and uh, mass murdered uh, a lot of teenagers. So I'm just going to go step to step through this whole thing. Well, this day, unfortunately, the police alarm PC was turned up. So there was no alarm that went out. And unfortunately, even though it was in uh, mid uh, or the, uh, the end of July, 
which is a high season with uh, tourism in Norway, there were only four to five police officers on duty that day. And unfortunately, two of them were guarding the Israeli and U.S. embassies, meaning there were only three in charge. And due to different uh, things, when this happened, uh, unfortunately, the police had to go without weapons because they had been uh, asked to give the weapons in a few weeks before. So they were locked into uh, gun, uh, um, what do you call it, gun boxes, and they could only be given out uh, with special permits, which they, they didn't have this day. And unfortunately, the mobile network seemed to have been blown up when this uh, whole thing exploded, so they couldn't use that either. And unfortunately, a lot of the communication, because nothing was working this day, had to be done by fax. That was the only thing that was working this day. And unfortunately, the fire brigade, even though it's only like two, three hundred yards from where the government building is, due to the explosion, they couldn't get the trucks out because they say that the doors, uh, exit doors from the fire station were blocked uh, due to glass and so on. So that was a bit of a bummer. And the helicopter crews that could have been really essential in this whole operation, since it was uh, there were two different operations ongoing on the same day, the helicopter crews had just been given extra holiday for this day, so they were not that day. So a bit of a bad day. And uh, when all of these false flags are carried out, you will see constantly the same type of setup. And one of the main ingredients in this set these setups are the drills. There's always a drill that is uh, before this whole thing is carried out. And this drill is there for the people who are behind these operations to get vehicles in position, explosives in position, smoke bombs, crisis actors, uh, you name it, and also be able to rehearse the theme that is then going to go live. And here in Norway, we had both uh, anti-terror drills in Oslo, where they were training a similar event like happened with the government building, and as well on the island, a similar event as on the island. So the guy who parked this car in the van and then left it, he left it in a police uniform. That police uniform is identical to the Norwegian SWAT team uniform. And I'm going to come back to how I would claim that the Delta, the Norwegian Delta forces are extremely central in this operation. I would even claim that they are part of carrying it out and then blaming it on a lone patsy. Uh, in this case, uh, an individual named Anders Breivik. The reason why they always claim it on a lone crazy guy or a lone fanatic is because if this person is alone, then by law there's no conspiracy. And then it's a lot easier to deal with in, the, in a court case. Uh, and if he's crazy, then no motive. Or if he's fanatic, Allah Akbar, then, well, it was because he was a fanatic. No reason to look into more of the details. When this whole thing happened with this uh, government building, it was a very, very strange event because um, one of the things I noticed right away was that people that was very close to the government building didn't hear any explosion, but people that were 25 kilometers away from the thing, they heard the explosion and also felt uh, the, the, what do you call it, the pressure uh, wave. Uh, that came from the bomb, but not the people in the center of this whole thing. And also the windows, instead of being blown into the shops in the surrounding area, were sucked out. So uh, 
on the streets around uh, in the whole block around the government building that the glass were out in the street like if the explosion had been on the inside of these shops and another thing was that there were these very weird phenomena that looked like melted uh, concrete very similar to the 911 uh, things so after speaking to many different experts, including uh, Chip Tatum, the CIA whistleblower, I believe that what was actually uh, carried out this day was a so-called implosion, not explosion, but implosion, because it's only then that you will be able to explain the damages to the building where all of the windows on the government building, all the way, this is just half of the building that you see here on this image, uh, the top part as well, all of the windows are blown or sucked out uh, instead of had it been an explosion and here we're being told that they're using a fertilizer bomb as well the the damage would be closest to where the van was said to have been which is here the, the van totally disappeared if it was ever there uh, and behind this uh, uh, the ceiling for instance or this roof that is sticking out the damages would be less but here it's not. And the people that were there said that it felt like the buildings were being sucked up in the air and shaken and then dropped down, exactly uh, like what is called an implosion. So what kind of weaponry uh, was used? I, I don't know. I think it's some kind of very advanced technology. And there is a series of people, unidentified people, uh, I, I found eight of them, uh, all of, with identical suitcases, uh, most of them in uh, different uniforms and so on, where uh, they were spread out in the area. I spoke to Chip Tatum about this, and he said mm -hmm. if it was a high-energy weapon, what they would need to have are sort of like uh, target markers where they, they were needed the different devices to mark the area that should be hit and to mark the area that should not be hit. And he said it's very possible that these suitcases uh, had this type of, of uh, technology in them, at least if it's an implosion, at least if what I believe happened is correct. Also, uh, this uh, image down here on the right, this is right just seconds after the implosion, explosion. You will see here totally empty area. The whole area is empty. It's cordon off. There's always these roadworks. If you look around false flag operations, there's always these scaffolding or roadworks that are blocking off the area, keeping normal people away. And uh, there's a, a film crew that comes running, and they're met by soldiers that are uh, saying, Get, go away, go away. And then they're, they're uh, uh, picking up some electric cable, which I'm not really sure what that cable is, but it's very, uh, very uh they were part of the operation since they were the only ones there, more or less, at that time. And uh, look at these things. People are sometimes saying, oh, you see conspiracies everywhere. I try not to. I try to be very objective and go on location. I try to find the, the victims, the families, the death certificate, the birth certificate. Well, I tell you, it is a very bizarre world to get into because it, you get into an area that is like a Hollywood movie with phantom identities, multiple passports, all kinds of weird stuff. And I just want to point out, uh, is first with these bloody uh, uh, faces that were all covered in blood and the poor woman with this thing sticking out of her head. 
I managed to find a video. I don't think this was supposed to be uh, to go uh, public, but I found it after uh, many, many hundreds of hours looking into this case. And I think this gave a very different than the still photos that shows absolute horror when you see this thing. So here it's uh, behind the government building. You can see here these, the woman here. She's all blooded. You see there's no blood in her hair at all. As she's standing there, that's a serious wound in her face to, to, with all that blood. So the medic comes and checks her pulse, as you do. In the background, well, she checks her hair. In the background, you've got five ambulances lined up. But instead of getting these people into the ambulance, they just set them down on the pavement. And you see this woman with this stick sticking out of her head. I don't know about you, but I would prefer to get to a doctor pretty urgently. But instead, this guy says, well, we found a solution for you. So they stop a bus. And so they take the people that are wounded on the bus instead of going with the ambulance. It's five ambulances lined up. All of these ambulances standing there, lots of people still on the pavement being treated. This poor woman, I mean, I would think she would almost be dying. They ask her, do you, are you okay? Do you think you can walk? She says, I'll do my best. And so let's take a walk to the bus. And then the bus is escorted by an ambulance. These buses, I tell you, this, this shows you how bizarre this is because the reason for that bus is that they always use buses to get extras and crisis actors to and from location. So it is to keep, you see these normal, these could be very, uh, just ordinary people. They, um, they need to keep these crisis actors away from us, the normal people, so that we cannot get in touch, that we can't start talking to them, that we can't see that, hey, listen, that stick uh, thing coming out of your head, it looks a bit fake, you know, is it put to there with chewing gum and so on. Why they use buses. So you will see buses are constantly uh, there again. You're listening to investigative journalist and author Oli Damagard about his on-site investigation, When Terror Struck Norway, his presentation on June 4, 2017, at the Left Out Forum in New York City. Today's show, Boston Marathon and Norway Terror. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. So anyway, we're after Anders Bering Breivik is said to have uh, blown up the government building, he took a car, another car, he had two cars, and went north, uh, of northwest of, of Oslo, out to a beautiful little heart-shaped island called Utøya, which is a very uh, beautiful little island in the middle of nowhere that has been used by the Social uh, Democrat, their youth party, as a summer camp. There were, this day, it is said that there was more than 550 teenagers on the island. So he came in a police uniform and he took the ferry across and uh, uh, with him he had a big bag and in the bag it said that he had all of these weapons and ammunition and so on. And the people came out and greeted him and said, uh, welcome, why are you here? Uh, he didn't really answer, instead he just picked up a gun and shot the two first people in the head, one of them being the stepbrother of the Norwegian princess. And then he picked out an automatic uh, rifle and started mass killing teenagers on this island. Uh, 
So these teenagers were just totally panicking and running around everywhere trying to hide while trying also to call the police. But unfortunately, we're back to the unfortunately thing here again, the police that answered the phone didn't believe the panicking teenagers and said, no, 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 uh, please call your parents and get them to call us. Otherwise, we will not, uh, we will not uh, believe you. So we're not going to send any, any police cars and so on. And also, hundreds of dis distress calls never got through because the line to the uh, police headquarters were, were blocked. And unfortunately, then when the ambulances finally came, they were stopped by police on location. And also when the police uh, finally, after almost an hour, tried to get to the island, uh, somebody blocked the police boat radio channel so they couldn't be contacted either. And unfortunately, the super uh, modern Tetra uh, digital new system uh, didn't communicate with the old analog system so that the police and, the, and everyone else couldn't communicate either. So we're back to the faxes. Also, there was a police helicopter with a sharpshooter, sharp and he, he said, or uh, they said, we are ready to go, let's, let's go, we can get, uh, take him out immediately, because this guy was allowed to be on this island and killing teenagers for one solid hour, one solid hour, and I timed from the mainland out to the island, if you really wanted to go there quickly in a rubber boat or whatever, it takes about one minute to get there. One hour he was let alone out there. But this sharpshooter was told to stand down, stand down, do not interfere. And unfortunately, uh, there were some uh, Bell 740 helicopters from military squadron uh, not so far from there, were with all without fuel. What a bummer. And so a simple person like me would say, well, get the your you know, like get down to the nearest gas station, get some fuel and get these helicopters off the ground. But no, it was first uh, way after this whole thing ended that uh, they, they were airborne. And very weirdly also, after he was finally arrested after one hour, the shooting continued for five to seven minutes afterwards. Go figure that one. And in the end... Uh, when finally uh, the whole thing ended, uh, in total, the pathologist uh, counted to 86 uh, dead. And they went out, it was for two days, I believe it was, in media, 86 dead. Then that went down to 69. And then in the end, we ended on 77, which is a very symbolic uh, number as well when it comes to this weird numerology that... Uh, these forces are, are using. So I don't know about you, 86, I mean, if you have bodies lying there, that one is not breathing, that one is. That means one dead, that's one. There's another one, two, three, four, five, and so on. If you have 86 ones not breathing, how can that go down to 69 and then up to 77? Okay, so... Finally, Norway, member of NATO, they have a super-duper Delta team that is highly trained and equipped for situations like this. So they were there. They came out. They were very delayed, and they missed the, the island. They stopped and asked, where is the island? The people pointed out, it's right over there. So what did they do? They kept going in their car and went a further three, four kilometers north before they put in the rubber boat. But then 
they were there were 11 uh, people with a lot of heavy equipment in it in this delta team i mean this is a super duper swat team so this is what happened this is not monty python this is 11 delta team highly super duper uh, trained police officers on the way to the island. Unfortunately, uh, there were too many in the boat, so it uh, started to take in water and that killed the engine. So they were drifting around until a normal person, a civilian, came and said, what's going on? And so they took his boat and left him in the rubber boat and then 11 Delta team members went in the boat that could hardly move either because there were so many. But then finally they got going there and after one hour, they arrived to the island. Here's the island, Utøya, and I found that very close by, there's actually what is called Central Anlegget, which is the war center of Norway. It's an underground army base, a super duper uh, high technology. So, away. This this is like uh, three miles, not even that. Okay. This is where the Delta team that came here, and instead of putting the rubber boat here, going straight across, being there within a minute or so, they decided to go all the way up here and put the rubber boat in there. And then they got in here, they took, uh, they got the wrong island to start with, and then finally they went down here and slowly, slowly, with the help of that other boat, they got to the island into different groups. But also, there was a ferry that was, uh, uh, it was actually an old uh, military uh, vessel, that, uh, armored vessel. And the person on the island uh, that uh, escaped as soon as the shooting started was the, uh, what do you call it, the, the head of the youth party, uh, Eskil uh, Pedersen. He and eight other people jumped into this uh, ferry, and instead of going and, and trying to help the, young, the youngsters, every I mean, teenagers was trying to escape from the island, swimming in the water while being shot at, many of them killed in the water. But instead of using this armored uh, ferry that could have saved many, many lives, they went all the way, whoops, they went all the way up there in the green circle, where they rammed the boat up on shore so that it couldn't be used, leaving the rest to die. And here in the purple circle is the island where all the helicopters, once they came, they landed there instead of going to this island because they would refused uh, permission to, to go into the airspace over this island. So on the island, there were several uh, people on the island that were talking about from one to five shooters and people on the mainland also heard shots being fired from different uh, locations on the island at the same time. But the official story, one shooter, one shooter under Spearing Breivik. So the question is, are we looking at the same individual? This is, uh, these are, this is from his police ID. This is from some uh, photos that were given out as evidence uh, that he was a Freemason. All of them with white background, Photoshop white background. This is him at, in the court. And this is right after he was arrested on the island. You see he's got a blue rubber suit with a, a police emblem on the, on the arm. But this is when they, when they brought him into the house on the island and started inter interrogating him. And you see here, he's got a dark gray 
uh, rubber suit type of thing on with uh, the same emblem, but it's not even the same color. And that guy is a lot more butch than this guy, I would strongly suggest. Also, you will see that uh, there's some aerial footage of him walking around shooting at the teenagers, but there he's left-handed and this man is right-handed. So when you check out his background, Anders Bering Breivik's background in Oslo, it turns out that he used to work in the same building where Stay Behind or Gladio had their headquarters, and so did his uh, lawyer. So I went to the prison where he is uh, now located, or they say he's located, and this is the prison in the background. You can see there's dead grass here because they've got a high-voltage uh, thing underneath the grass that will just fry you if you if you do anything. That's according to Chip Tatum. And very close, here's the prison wall. Very close uh, to the prison, there are some very strange buildings here with uh, one of the things uh, on the back is a big, big container it's called Evergreen, the company Evergreen. You see American Bureau of Shipping. This is in Norway. This uh, container is not supposed to be seen. You cannot see it from, from the main road. Uh, it's quite uh, isolated, this whole thing. And according to Chip Tatum, Evergreen is totally CIA. And he said that from this building, uh, he could almost guarantee that there were tunnels inside the prison. And he totally doubts that, that this guy is even there. And I must say also, I totally doubt it. So uh, the year after uh, this whole thing happened, very central in this uh, massacre is uh, Jan, uh, Jens Stoltenberg, who was uh, the prime minister of Norway, and uh, uh, he was the former leader of this youth party. He, they, they got together the year after as a uh, memorial thing and so on. But also Gro Harlem Brundtland, a former prime minister of the, uh, Norway and very central in, she's the head architect behind Agenda 21, very central in the whole elite thing, very, very suspicious woman. And she spent the whole um, day up until just one hour before the shooting on the island uh, saying hello to the kids and so on, left more or less with the same ferry that then returned with the shooter. Okay, so they're there. And then this is the Danish uh, uh, prime minister, Bilderberger. This is a Swedish uh, uh, politician that was uh, aiming at becoming a prime minister, uh, also Bilderberger. Here is uh, the Swedish Prime Minister Bilderberger. Here is uh, the what do you call it? the head of the youth party that day, the guy that escaped and uh, took the ferry and, and drove it up on on land so that it couldn't be used. Who, according to inside sources, is the illegitimate son of Jens Stoltenberg. And so, why or oh why or oh why? Well. Norway had just announced that they were going to withdraw from the bombing campaign of Libya. And uh, it said it would scale down its fighter jet contributions in Libya from six to four planes and then withdraw completely from the NATO-led operation by August the 1st. This happened on the 22nd of July. And uh, people, experts in this field, say that had Norway left these operations, Denmark would have followed right away. And then the whole a NATO campaign of war, death, and destruction could have fallen apart. And also, Norway was also in the process of accepting uh, Palestine and boycotting Israel, which you will see when you look at these uh, false flags. 
as soon as you start pointing or go against Israel, they will hurt you. And then afterward, after having been the head, the key person in this whole uh, operation, Jens Stoltenberg, the Norwegian prime minister who had been totally against NATO during his uh, younger years, suddenly was appointed secretary general of NATO in 2014. Congratulations. And bye-bye. Now go back to sleep. So this is, uh, I think this uh, uh, operation in Norway is very, very, it's a very good example because it, it shows you how these things are carried out and on a scale that is just incredible. So I hope you got the impression that something very strange is going on. But uh, I believe that uh, what we're looking upon is, uh, this, I say this after many, many years of research, I believe that we're looking at a small little mobile unit, almost like a, um, a rock group, but a terror group, that is set up to, uh, that is not there to, to produce terror event, but media event where the, where the theme is terror. Uh, because then they need, the whole thing is to scare us, the normal people, into obedience so that we will accept their very brutal agenda. So uh, I believe that this uh, unit uh, it consists of uh, crisis actors, directors, uh, marketing agencies, uh, military advisors, bodyguards, experts on explosives, uh, experts on smoke bombs, makeup artists, amputee uh, uh, extras, catering facilities, and, and so on. But that they're being transported in army planes from uh, NATO base and, or American air bases from NATO countries, if you notice, it's always NATO countries or Australia, a few ones that is out of NATO that they do from time to time. But normally, what they hit in Europe, it will be Denmark, Sweden, uh, some very rarely Norway, uh, Germany, Belgium, Holland, UK, uh, sometimes Spain, Italy, France, these are the ones, and Turkey. It will just rotate, rotate, rotate. And I believe that I found the octopus in this whole net when it comes to on the op uh, operational level, carrying these things out. And it's a company called crisis-solutions.com. Very, very suspicious company uh, located in Wiltshire in England. But I believe that these are the ones doing it. Uh, where it's coordinated with the different intelligence agencies from Mossad, CIA, MI6 mostly, but also backed up on, uh, in the local countries. And then there's another company also called NC4 that are organizing uh, a lot of it also in the background. This is speculation, but I'm trying to prove it. Uh, it's a lot with uh, how to coordinate the different hospitals, uh, ambulance services, bus services, uh, uh, and so on. So I believe that what we're seeing is not a, a world full of terror and Muslim terrorists, absolutely not. It is just like if it was a rock band on tour performing the exact same show, terror, 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 wherever they go, same theme, same actors, same SWAT team uniform uh, people, same crisis actors and so on. So I'm, I and many other researchers are trying to now with facial recognition and so on, recognize them uh, in different countries and different uh, events. And this is also why I've been able to predict 
so many of these is because it's the same, the same, the same. It's the same team that we're looking at. been listening to investigative journalist and author Oli Damagard about his on-site investigation when terror struck Norway on the panel False Flags, staged, scripted mass PSYOP events presented at the Left Out Forum in New York City on June 4, 2017. The Left Out Forum included panels that were banned from the annual Left Forum. Today's show has been Boston Marathon and Norway Terror. For more information on Ole Demigard's investigations of assassinations and false flag operations, visit lightonconspiracies.com. That's lightonconspiracies.com. Investigative journalist and author Dave Lindorf is the founding editor of the collectively run news site thiscantbehappening.net. That's thiscantbehappening.net. To view the archived live stream of the Left Out Forum, visit noliesradio.org. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner, Yaro Mako, and Tony Rango. Visit us at gunsandbutter.org to listen to past programs, comment on shows, or join our email list to receive our newsletter that includes recent shows and updates. Email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.org. Follow us on Twitter at G&B Radio. Release. You dig me?